My name is Stanley Soren. I have the great pleasure to welcome Mandy Ray Crack from Canada, seven-time world record holder and free diver. Tell us, Mandy Ray, what, what does it bring to life? Why should we start free diving? Is it a better world down there? It, it is a better world down there, for sure. There's very little noise, not the same type of noise. It's special noise, the crackling of the reefs, the noises that the fish make. It's it's um, it's a softer world, you know? It, things get along and their natural rhythm and there's not all of this anger and stuff in the world and confusion. It just feels like peace when you're underwater. Once you get going at it. <laughs> And, and do you interconnect with, with humanity through all history? Because we always, you know, dive in the sea to, to collect uh, pearls and, and oysters and, and uh, to fish. And so do you feel that connection with former generations and, and coming generations? Oh, for sure. Um, one of the things that I find really neat about freediving is that your physiology has to change. So things that are ingrained in you from past generations and other mammals like whales, seals, and dolphins, mammalian diving reflexes. Every time you go free diving, you have to draw these, these reflexes out in yourself to blend in better with the water. And it's, it's so amazing that we're able to do something like that and then be able to look back in history at all of the other people, the Ama Pearl divers and, and such that have done this as a living for generations and generations, centuries, and know that you're carrying on doing something that's ingrained in you like that. And I was a kid, I, I saw the big blue and I started to, to dive in our local pool in my hometown, but it was only three meters deep, so I kind of hit the bottom there. Uh, can you tell us about the history of, of this beautiful sport? It, it, the, the history of freediving dates back centuries, like I was saying. You know, you, you know that it happened because long before scuba was around, you have evidence of earthenware that has pearl inlays in it. And the only way they, the people were going to get these pearls was to hold their breath and dive underwater. Um, also a huge history, and it is the sustenance of it. You know, this is how people fed themselves in certain areas of the world, held their breath, went down and got the, the fish or other uh, food from the bottom of the seafloor. So it, it's been around forever, and then eventually... Um, it started into the competitive side of it because, you know, we're only human. <laughs> we need to challenge ourselves. And uh, one of the first ever uh, uh, competitions, I guess you could say, was um, somebody dropping money down in a tube to the ocean floor and a guy saying, I'll go get that. I can do it. And swimming down, grabbing it. And that was probably the last time for a long, long time that a freediver made money off of doing the sport. <laughs> But uh, it's kind of cool that it started that way. Yeah. And uh, did, did you have your own style as an athlete? Could we see it was Mandy Ray diving? Um, there, there's so many different styles to freediving. When I first got into it, my first international competition in Nice, France, I came out of that thinking, I want to do world records in dynamic apnea. And that's distance on one breath underwater in a pool. Because I was a swimmer, a synchronized swimmer growing up. And that's where my, my strongest comfort was. And I found that easiest. And it's funny because that's one of two of the disciplines that I never ended up setting world records in. 
But the thing I loved was um, people diving with me and saying, you know, they could see that I was meant to do it because I look different than others. There's some people when you watch videos of free divers, some look like they're meant to be in the water, that they become part of the water and others look like they're pushing themselves through the water. So that was a huge compliment to me whenever I heard that. And uh, in the big blue, Jacques Mayol, he does yoga and, 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 uh, and Simone Lillari takes a nap. How did you train mentally? Was it uh, visualization and meditation? And... <laughs> I, I always tell people that I'm a head case. Um, the mental aspect of freediving was, was the hardest part for me, for sure. Um, I didn't do meditation as per what you usually think of it, laying down in a quiet room and just zoning out and, and concentrating on the breathing, like in yoga and stuff. I did yoga and everything. My biggest thing was when I found a book called, um, in the pursuit of excellence, psychology of sport. And, um, it was, uh, Ortwell was the author's name. And through the, the book, he lists a bunch of different methods that he's used on other elite athletes to train themselves. And for me, it was learning how to have an inner voice that coached me through all the little parts of my dives or whatever it was that I was doing, my breath hold. That was the way I would get into it. And later finding out that it was, I was able to find a near perfect flow state. Mm. Excellent. And is that, is it flow your experience when you go down into the blue? Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, on record dives, it's different when you're recreational diving, but on a world record dive, um, it was definitely flow. And I used to never know what it was, but other than it was something that made reporters really mad because they'd be like, tell me what you're thinking of when you're down there. Or what do you see? Do you see sharks swimming around you? And um, all I could ever tell you on a record dive was that I remember a line being in front of me and sometimes that it got a little bit darker as you went down. But other than that, I don't remember anything about the dive. And that's because there's just this voice. I get into my head and that's all there is. Everything else was able to disappear and like near 100% of my focus was on the task at hand. And if you were to become a philosopher and write a chapter about free diving what would be the very essence of it oh that's a hard question <laughs> the essence of free diving i think it's about learning how to let yourself go forget it like you you have it you have things that you have to do but at the same time you need to remove the world from what it is you're about to do And can you use those lessons in other parts of life? You started a business, for example, a family business. Can you use it in business, do you think, in research and as a private person? And Oh, for sure. The lessons I learned in freediving um, have definitely transferred over into real-life situations. I grew up um, failing at, at stuff in school where I'd have to stand up in front of people. And excelling in freediving... Just those little victories, whether it's world records or not, every one of those little wins where you're able to push yourself a few seconds longer or a few meters deeper, it builds this inner self-confidence in you that translates to other things. Suddenly you're like, well, I didn't think I could dive to 100 feet, 
So you know what? I can do that presentation at work tomorrow. And, and it just snowballs into you deciding that it, it teaches you that you are able to do a lot more than what you think is possible. And it's amazing the doors that it's opened up for me. And if you were to change into an animal, if you reborn as an animal in the sea, which one would you choose and why? Ooh. You know, my answer used to always be a shark because I absolutely love sharks. But with the state of our oceans, I'd probably say a jellyfish because <laughs> they're going to exist the longest. But uh, yeah, it, pretty much anything underwater would be amazing to come back as. And sharks, they have to swim all the time in order to keep breathing. Uh, mm -hmm. is, it, is it a harder life down there? We can stay at the coach and, and watch TV and, and uh, chill for a day. But in the sea, you really have to work every day in some sense. And there's always a threat. Uh, perhaps if, not if you're a white shark, but everyone mm -hmm. beneath in your sleep, you can be eaten. Is it a rougher <laughs> life down there? I don't think. It's just different challenges, right? Um, you know, it ha they have huge pressures on them that are beyond their control, of course, but so do we up here. There's a lot that we don't have control of that we just have to deal with day to day. And uh, especially right now during coronavirus, I think a really cool thing is that they get to travel huge, huge distances. You know, how cool would that be to be that that's part of your yearly cycle? You know, you have a distance that you have to travel like whales going from way up north to way down south in a year. You know, it's it, it's an interesting it's a, a different challenge than what we have, but it would be fun. And have you swam with any animals like dolphins and Oh, I've been very lucky uh, to swim with a lot of different uh, sea creatures. Uh, we were part of the movie The Cove that won an Academy Award in 2010 about the pressures that our oceans are under and the slaughter of dolphins in Japan. And before it became about the slaughter of dolphins, uh, we had two years where we traveled with them and we got a dive with humpback whales um really like up close and personal with them and they're just magnificent that's where i gained a whole new respect for those those creatures um dove with uh schooling hammerheads and reef sharks um tiger sharks i love oh my goodness great hammerheads um uh great white sharks it, the story just goes on and on all of the great amazing creatures fantastic and the What's the most traumatic you have experienced so far in the sea? Ooh, traumatic. See, everything to me, it's traumatic. So things are traumatic at the moment. But then when after you've talked about them enough, it's just something that happened and that you made it through and that you move on. So I've had a number of blackouts in the sport, all well in uh, attempting world records. Um, but um, I had you know, one where I was attempting a 90 meter dive in constant weight and um, I blacked out. But then when I came around, I suffered almost like a mini stroke um, and uh, made full recovery and there's no problems associated with it. But sometimes that's one of the scary parts about pushing human boundaries and being the first person to these levels or depths, I guess is that um, there's still a lot that we don't know about what our physiology goes through. And uh, I'll probably never know what caused it. I'm just lucky to have recovered from it. 
and what would be your three best pieces of advice for for the next generation if they want to become professional freedivers? Oh, first is just try it. Just get out and do it. I think there's so many more people that could be amazing at things and different sports and occupations, but they just are scared to try. You have to try. Um, Finding an amazing support system is another thing. If I hadn't found the coach that I did and had the family backing that I did, I probably wouldn't have ended up doing it. So you really need that drive and somebody else that sees something in you for sure. And for freediving specific, get training. You know, find a professional company like Performance Freediving International and get the proper training. It not only makes it easier to get better faster, but you know how to do it safely. Um, When you've been in the sport as long as I have, unfortunately, you know a lot of people that have lost their lives because they didn't follow the simple safety rules. And have you had any mentors? Uh, that helped you along the way and any role models? It's funny. I didn't, everyone would always ask about role models and I don't think there was anybody I looked up to. I looked up to what um, I looked up to. Yeah. Looked down to in our sport. Yeah. Um, There was people that I aimed to beat (laughs) eventually, you know, people that held the records and I wanted to beat the records, but it was never that I wanted to be them. I, I was on my own path. Um, but definitely a mentor. Yeah. When I met Kurt Kroc, um, who later became my husband, um, that was the game changer because he was the type of personality where he would see something in someone and know how to draw that out to, to show you that you could be this, this amazing person and do these amazing things. So that was a big game changer for sure. And, and, the. I just saw a documentary about a girl who died and her husband was her coach. Um, mm. I, I forgot her name, but... but uh, Audrey. Yeah, exactly. And it was a sad story. Uh, is, there a, is there a fine line between to push someone and to hold them back that, you know, encourage them, but, but, but hold them back when, when, when it gets too dangerous? Um. Yes, and theirs was a different, a very different dynamic. We worked with them. Actually, I set a tandem world record in No Limits with Audrey. And so I worked with them once way back in 2000. And the thing you could see immediately, uh, Pepin at the time was very ego-driven. And he didn't like to listen to the experts that he brought in to help them set up events. And so things would go wrong because shortcuts were taken and there was impatience and, and stuff like that. And then on the side of her, one thing that I would notice was, you know, when they were setting up our sleds in the morning and that I wanted to know what they were doing. I wanted to know what was being put in the air tank that was going to lift us back up to the surface. I wanted to see that knot at the end of the line and, and all of this stuff and, and just be part of it and hear the safety briefings and everything. Whereas she did a hundred percent faith. You know, I have a hundred percent faith in Kirk, but I also want to know what my safety divers are doing. I want to know all, all the parts and pieces that are going into my world record. Um, because in the end it's me, I should be responsible for that as well. And nobody's going to push me further than what I'm going to let them push me either. 
So I think there's a little bit of responsibility on both people, but blind trust can be fatal. In all aspects of, of, of life. And, yeah. and uh, how did you train outside of the water and, and inside of the water? What's uh, the two different atmospheres? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and living, is, as you would know, in a colder climate, right? Um, it's not always the best to be in our oceans out here. Below 60 meters in Vancouver waters, it's so black, it's like diving with your eyes closed. So not only physically, but mentally, it's a lot more challenging. So what I would do is I would have a five or six month training program. And the majority of it was going to be cardio strength training in the gym. So working out on ellipticals because I have bad knees, I don't run. Um, and doing weightlifting and stretching and then breathing tables as well. And I did a lot of prep like that. And then I would slowly transition into doing pool work. And for most of my world records, I would not touch the ocean until two weeks before my world record attempt. So it's a bit like marathon runners. They don't run too often. Yes. Yeah, there's so many other aspects to training. And I think that's one thing a lot of free divers don't understand, especially ones that aren't being trained by a professional trainer, is that they go out and they do the same thing day after day. They want to get deeper, so they go deeper a little bit, try to go out and go a little bit deeper as often as possible. And that can work if you can, if you do have the right coach and stuff. But what I would do in five months, and I've made some enormous jumps on world records, and I hadn't been in the water until I reached the Cayman Islands and was in my two weeks prior to the record. You know, it was it was pretty amazing to see how that kind of training works. Hmm. And what kind of routines did you have through a competition day? Um, ooh, routines are pretty important. And that was one big thing coming back after five years off after back surgery was realizing that I'd forgotten my routines because that's half of the mental aspect, too. Um, and for me in the prime of it, I would wake up and I'd make everybody in our condo breakfast that wanted it. And it was always cream of wheat with blueberries cause good antioxidants. So we'd have blueberries and walnuts in them and, uh, um, cream of wheat's easy to digest too. So you get the energy and the nutrients, but you're not weighed down by your breakfast. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, um, I'd head upstairs and do a full body stretch and then a visualization. I did a lot of visualization on my dives and not perfect ones. You always say no dive is ever perfect. So your visualizations can never be perfect either. You have to visualize overcoming uh, obstacles while you're on your dive too. And then packing your gear and always packing it the same way. Um, I had my spot on the boat um, and nobody else was allowed to sit there. If somebody else came on the boat and was sitting in my spot, I'd have to ask them to move because that was my spot. But I didn't get into, you know, I've seen other athletes that would put towels or blankets over their head and earphones in, just zone out. I like to listen to music on the way out and while the team was setting up the rig. And I would dance and sing and talk. And it was just a normal everyday uh, dive I was about to do. But once I got into the water, I wouldn't speak to anybody else again until it was my dive was over. It was kind of like as soon as I hit water, I became the water. And then it was that routine that I was part of. And we contain 
70% of water ourselves. Mm -hmm. So is it is it in some sense more natural to be down in the water than in the air? I, well, that's the goal of free diving is to make it more natural to be in the water. And, you know, the, the 30% that is not uh, water in our bodies are the parts and pieces that we work so hard to overcome, equalizing those air spaces. Um, and I've, I'm pretty fortunate in being able to most of the time equalize those really efficiently. Um, whereas some people, that's their stumbling block. They struggle with that for forever. Mm -hmm. And and do you try to free your mind, or when you go down, as you said, you were in flow. But do you think of anything? Do you think of the different levels and and the technique, or do you think of your your your, your breath, or what do you think about during a dive? For me, I have this inner dialogue that's going on. So. There's a lot of technique. It looks like you just swim down to depth and swim back up again, but there's actually a lot of technique. So your final breath, there's a certain um, segment that th that goes in, how you do your final breath, and then roll over, and then you, you start your dive. And the first little bit down, for me, I would swim down to 40 meters. And the first 20 meters is 10 strong kicks of my fin and then remembering to equalize. So in my head, I have this count going on. One, two, three, and then I'm remembering to equalize every time I do a count. And then the second 20 meters down to 40, it's softer kicks. It's another 10, but it's not as much effort because you're becoming more negative. All your air spaces are compressing and your wetsuit is compressing, so you sink easier. So you don't have to swim as hard. And then from 40 meters down, that's where I'm, I'm negatively buoyant. And you stop kicking and you're just conserving. So then my mind starts reminding me to streamline. So tuck your arms into your head more, tuck your chin in more so you can equalize, relax your stomach. And then I have a count that continues on so you know where you are. Because you don't want to sink another 50 meters without knowing exactly where you are. So I'm always counting one, 1,000, two, 1,000, because every second is like another meter of depth. And I would be on dead on within a few meters counting that way. So it was never a surprise when the bottom came up. I knew it was coming and knew when I needed to turn. And then on the way up, it's a little less technical, but you're still talking to yourself and counting and remembering when you're doing stronger kicks and when you're doing weaker tips kicks and then dropping your arms so there's all of this dialogue this voice that's going on in your head and nothing else gets in there if something else gets in you end up turning around you have to be watertight in your head as well you do <laughs> yes and when you're 120 years old uh do you want to be buried in the water or have your ash spray in the water or Oh, that's, I've already told my daughter and that, that that's what I want, you know, cremated and, and set free in the water because, you know, you get put in one area and you get to literally go all over the world and uh, what, what better place to rest forever, right? And, and uh, having to break these different records, you know, you have your competition, how much do you compete against yourself and how much do you compete against your opponents? Well, see, that's the thing. It's really freediving. If you're doing it right, you're competing against yourself. You might have, if you're doing records, you obviously have a goal that you're trying to hit, but you can only do what you can do. 
So you have to train yourself and you have to fight your own demons and overcome your own obstacles to get there. It's not a race where you're going to see your, your, your competition right next to you. You're in the water at that moment by yourself, fighting yourself. Hmm. And is it hard to relate to you know, that, the, the, those kind of feelings you have in the water to other people? Now you're in the diving business, so you meet a lot of free divers anyway, but, but people who only spend their whole life on land. Is it, is it like two different worlds? You think we miss out? Most people miss out since we don't go underneath the surface. Oh, for sure. I think, you know, one, one question I'd get a lot from reporters is, why would you do this? You know, swim as far away from your ne next breath of air as possible. Why would you Why would you want to put your body through this? It's dangerous, they, it's, and it's not as dangerous as people say, but, you know, they, they're always like, I, I don't understand. And it's like, really, if you thought that you had a chance of doing something that nobody else had done before, you know, and that you knew 99% sure that you were capable of doing something groundbreaking, how could you not let yourself do it? And that mindset of somebody like, oh, no, that's scary or dangerous. I couldn't possibly, you know, that seems so sad to me that people would not let themselves experience that. Um, and I'm so lucky that I've been able to. Um, the other side of it is um, people, I think our oceans, our planet would be in way better shape if more people spent time in our oceans. I've said this for so many years because there's so many people that don't see the beauty as well as the destruction that's happening underwater because they're not there. Seeing it on TV isn't the same. You need to be out in the oceans and seeing it. Aquariums, they show you the best of what's possible. But unless you're in there experiencing it, you really don't understand. Mm. It's uh, what's the most beautiful thing you have seen deep down? Oh my goodness, I love sun rays. I, I I love being in the water in blue water with no land around and just seeing rays of sun coming down through the water. Like it, there couldn't be anything more peaceful than that. Just being down there and listening to it. I can't pick one creature over another because they're all just so incredible in their in their own way. Like brittle stars out in Canada, little starfish that you can just touch their one leg and watch the whole rock wall full of these brittle stars start moving. It's incredible. Being next to an enormous humpback whale and watching its eye check you out is incredible. But you can't beat the peace of just being in open water with sun rays coming down. And it just feels like you're in another world. You're in heaven. Mm. And if you were to take the 100 best free divers of all time to the psychologist and try to find you know, common things between you, uh, what, what would be that, that the red line that connects you all? Ooh, top three things. I would think uh, drive. We, we all are probably very driven. Once we have a goal in mind, you want to get there. Um, unique physiology. I think that that's going to stand out. You know, I know some world record holders have had um, uh, a lot larger lung volumes. There, there's something special in there physiologically, um, as well as the drive and mental aspect of it. And I think an amazing coach, amazing support team. Mm -hmm. and uh, 
Herbert Nietzsche, 214 meters down. Uh, Tanya Street, 160. Uh, those two people that, are, that hold the, the deepest records today. What can you tell us about them? Uh, do do you do you envy them, or do you do you, do you think they're they're when you go down 240 meters, it's somewhere is the limit where you shouldn't go. Uh, there, there's a human limit at some depth. Oh no, no. Well, there there's human limits, but then our physiology changes. We learn to adapt it, and those those limits are changed. So that's the cool thing with free diving. It's learning how to train differently to change that physiology to work for you and let you do more. And um, you know, Tanya and I, we've we've gone back and forth on many world records. I broke a lot of her records. I took the no limits record from Audrey actually, um, and then um, Audrey uh, Tanya took it for me, and Audrey went to take it from her when she passed away, and then. Um, meanwhile, Herbert was doing his dives and had his issues as well on his dives. And then nobody was allowed to do no limits again. <laughs> so that's kind of a kicker for a lot of free divers that had dreams of the no limits or reattempting no limits because nobody's going to get to set that world record again. Those guys get that world record and that's it. Whereas normally records are meant to be broken. You're not supposed to keep them very long. So um, as a competitor, that part of it, it's a little frustrating and it's also frustrating that, you know, where it's going to take a lot longer to see what other physiological aspects need to be drawn out of us in order to do more and go further. Mm. And do what, what depth do you think is the limit? Uh, if we were able to, you know, develop our lungs and our training and such, is it 250 meters or... Is there a? I I wouldn't give it a number. I don't because if you give it a number, you're capping it. And you know, way back when they thought that that freedivers couldn't go past a hundred meters, and we're doing that swimming down and back up now for a couple of years. So every time the scientists and researchers set a limit, a few years later somebody figures out how to beat it. So they should stop doing that because it probably eggs us on more. <laughs> Mm. So and and the the the, the what's the most important tools in your sport? Oh, like actual physical tools, proper gear, your your gear, um, wetsuit, and it's so it's different because it's different for everybody because you wear your gear according to your physiology almost. There's and and what conditions you're in. So being able to have the gear that you can change for the conditions that you're going into uh, makes all the difference. What type of wetsuit you wear, um, what type of goggles or mask you're wearing, the type of fin. And that's one thing that's been very interesting over the last 20 years is seeing all the advancements in, in equipment and the availability of equipment. Because when I started, I was like borrowing stuff. Because in Canada, we didn't have a wetsuit supplier, not for women, for sure. You'd have to wear a men's uh, spearfishing wetsuit. And they don't fit. If you're, if you're not shaped like a 12-year-old girl, if you have curves at all, you do not fit into a men's wetsuit. 
And so it was just horrible wearing double wetsuits and just makeshift everything. And so it's it's incredible the the advances in all of that over the last 20 years that make it so much easier for people to get the right gear and do better. Mm. Fantastic. Mandy Ray, warm thank you for your generous advice and we look forward to the deep blue. <laughs>